I'm Mel Kettle, and you're listening to This Connected Life, the show where connected leaders share their experience, values, and strategies that have helped them become more connectable so they achieve success in life and business. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in again to This Connected Life. My guest today is Julie Trell. Julie and I met through SheEO, which is an initiative that she's very passionate about. And Julie is the country lead in Australia for SheEO. She's also the head of Muru D. And most recently, we caught up at the space conference at Byron Bay earlier in the year. So we've got plenty of things to talk about. Thank you, Julie, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. The first question I ask all of my guests is, what does connection mean to you? I have given myself the title human API, API being the technical term for application protocol interface where it connects one application to another. So your phone app talks to the Uber and LinkedIn is somehow integrated into your Gmail. So I call myself a human API connecting people. So for me, it's seeing two like-minded people or not like-minded people that I can connect them, other people to. And then I find a connection when I can connect others, people, resources, networks. So there you go. I love that. I feel like there's a lot of us that can go around and say, we're a human API. (laughs) That's great. I just have to excuse my voice. I've got a cold. I was just saying to Julie before we started, I'm actually not sure whether I have a cold or whether it's because of spring in Brisbane and crazy pollen or because of the smoke from all the bushfires that are on the Sunshine Coast and in northern New South Wales, Brisbane's just one giant ball of haze at the moment. So excuse my husky tones and if I sneeze, I'm just going to apologise in advance for that as well. I will bless you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to talk about the startup space because you're really active in that. What are some of the challenges that you see in this space, both from a connection perspective and any other challenges that you'd like to share? Sure. So um, MiraD, as you explained, is um, is an accelerator backed by Telstra. So we work with startups and Miru is the indigenous word for pathway, so pathway to digital. And so we work with a lot of early stage startups that are trying to get funding, that are trying to get to build their product, to get product market fit. So the challenge is interesting that you started that way. Having come from the US and Silicon Valley, ergo my accent, the appetite for risk is much lower here. So there's a challenge here for investors about getting capital to the right places and people asking for money and and thinking big. So I think that's one of the challenges that I have seen for startups here. How did you get into the startup world? (laughs) Serendipity, universe providing and running my mouth to the right people at the right time. I love that. It was all more connection. I happened to be a classroom teacher and a technology specialist in a middle school in inner city Atlanta. And I found myself on this trip in Israel and I met this gentleman named Mark Benioff back in 1998. And he was at a company called Oracle, but he wanted to leave and start this new company where it was going to sell software over the web. This was before cloud technology was invented or SaaS. And he knew he wanted to start this new kind of way to sell software over the web. At the same time, he also wanted to bridge the digital divide, which was making sure that schools got technology, equal access to technology. Where I was, that was my 
excitement. And I told him, I said, Mark, if you're going to deal with kids and technology, you need to hire teachers to be a company that gives away money. Little did I know that was my interview. And he says, why don't you move from Atlanta to San Francisco? So for those of you, geography is across the country and help start the Salesforce Foundation and Salesforce. This was back in 2000. So Salesforce itself was a startup. And I got to move into San Francisco, the Silicon Valley land of the startups in 2000 and grow up there. And so I saw all the possibility, the the dreams, the thinking, um, people. It was really easy to start startups. And I just I had the connection with the people that were building really innovative companies. So I might add, mostly focused on social impact companies or nonprofits. Well, that's so interesting. There's a few things I want to talk about there, but first I want to say, how did you meet people when you moved from Atlanta to San Francisco? Because I moved from Brisbane to Sydney in 2000 as well, and there was no Facebook or Twitter or even really MySpace to start building relationships with people. So how did you create those connections and relationships when you moved? So I did have a little small network. There was a Jewish community that I was connected into, but being in a startup like Salesforce, which we had 115 people, I felt like I was a freshman back in college again and spend a lot of time days and nights and afternoons and partying and, and waking up and socializing. That's how I met my network. I love that. Through friends of friends and running my mouth again to the right people. I'd had one friend in Brisbane when I moved here and I had an an elderly aunt and I had two really good friends who previously lived in Brisbane but had since moved and little did I realize my one friend who was here was this amazing social connector and I've got friends today who I met 20 years ago through her in the first week that I was here and she's long gone she went to Melbourne about two years after I moved here but her friends introduced me to people who introduced me to more people and it's just fascinating how these networks connect and you know, people say to me now, I'm moving to a new city. What advice do you have? And I'm like, well, get all over social media and build relationships that way, as well as ask everybody you know who lives in that place. Yeah, that social map. So it's interesting you say that. I bet you. So I'm thinking of your social map. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm connected to her in some way because this is a really small country. But when I moved to Australia, I had put out, I sent a note, an email to a bunch of my friends, network. But instead of saying, hey, send me an email to someone you know, I actually created a Google form. So it would all be in one oh, place. That's clever. And there were a couple of questions. Who do you know? Why should I meet with them? What's their email? And so I had that all rather than making the blind intros because I do not like blind intros. So I could go back to that list in time and, and ask for the introductions or serendipitously, I've used that word several times, maybe have met that person and I go back to my list and it's like, oh, you know. So <laughs> I think LinkedIn and Facebook make it really easy as well to see who we have in common, who we know in common, because it just, yeah. you know, that's part of what those platforms are created for was all about building networks. And so I love it when I connect with somebody or make a new friend and ask them to connect on Facebook and then see, oh, you know, this person who's been my friend for yeah. 10 years, how have we never met? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How do you think founders of startups can become more connectable? So we do a lot of this. Well, I open up my network and I provide the introductions. My new phrase is, it never hurts to ask. So encouraging people to ask for introductions and creating the right email or the right, it, why do you want to meet this person? So it's not just, hey, connect me. Hey, I, I will push back and say, 
go look at this person's LinkedIn or Facebook, what they've done. And then I'm happy to make real a crafted. I spend a lot of time doing introductions to help connect others. And once they see the momentum of how easy it is to make connections, it gets easier and easier to make the asks and, and meet people and your network grows. We do a what I call a field trip up to the US with our founders. And they are blown away by how open people are in Silicon Valley to introduce people and, and connect. What the challenge was down here in Australia, a country is of 25 million versus the U.S. where there's 330 million. I was just going to say, do you think that willingness to connect in the U.S. is because the market is so much bigger and there's a lot more money to go around compared to in Australia in startup space, which is quite small? I do. I do think there's a little bit more of an abundance mindset in the U.S. where there are so many people versus down here, which is something that I'm trying to turn on and to have people look through an abundance lens versus a scarcity lens. Yeah, the abundance versus scarcity mindsets is something that fascinates me. I've always been brought up with an abundance mindset, not that I knew what that was as a child or even really as an adolescent or young adult. I find it really interesting when I meet people who are so secretive and who don't want to share and who don't want to connect you or introduce you or talk about anything that that you might steal with steal in little inverted commas compared to people who are just willing to give you everything they know to help you in whatever way you need. Yeah, you nailed my exact experience when I moved down here. So I wanted to learn about the Startup Accelerator ecosystem here. And instead of having 50 coffees, I decided to invite all the accelerators together in one room. It was really quite interesting because I don't think anyone had done that before. And we shared what we were doing and we realized, oh, you're a pipeline to us and I'm a pipeline to you. And in essence, we all agreed that we were running programs for the same reasons was to help founders become successful, to help create a more thriving Australian economy. And I loved it. People were like, I've been here forever and I had no idea you were doing what you were doing. So I forced this, you know, because it was a no-brainer for me. And we created the Accelerator Hive Mind, where monthly each different accelerator hosted a breakfast and a topic, and we had these conversations. It made me notice of this abundance connection propensity, something that was natural to me, wasn't so natural down where I am now. Yeah, I, I found that when I started my business as well. And, you know, I reached out to friends who had their own businesses and often in a similar space of marketing comms. And, you know, I reached out to some people who I didn't know, but who I knew were in that world. And it fascinated me who was generous with information and who wasn't. And people who I considered really good friends did not help me at all or answer any of my questions. Whereas people who I barely knew and might have met at a party or a networking event were so generous with their time and knowledge. And it just was really surprised by this difference in mentality of sharing. To your point is, you know, I'm meeting these wonderful women or on board leaders and they'll say to me, they'll say, I will always open my network and I will always have a conversation with someone who reaches out and asks like a specific ask. I, cause I know where I've been and I would love to help when it's a targeted direct, Hey, I'm looking for this. Can you help me? And here's how I can help you. No brainer. Will I have those conversations? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know whether you've ever seen the TED Talk or read the book by Amanda Palmer, which is about the art of asking. If you haven't, it's fantastic. But she talks about how she was the first performing artist to raise a million dollars through a Kickstarter campaign. And it came about because she was having a lot of issues with her record label and they wanted her to go in one direction and she wanted to go in another direction. So after her contract with them had finished, she decided to release an independent album and she went out to her 
her community through a Kickstarter campaign and she said she was basically shitting herself because she didn't know how to ask them to fund. But the response was overwhelmingly positive, partly because Mm. she'd never asked them for anything before and partly because she was just so honest about what she wanted and why. And her book and her TED Talk just are so enlightening and illuminating for people who struggle with asking for help. Yep. I have been strengthening that muscle ever since I got involved with CEO. So I I wrote it down and I I will check the TED Talk out and her book, but it's something that once you start practicing, it gets a little easier. Yeah. And one of the things that she says is you need to be very specific with your ask, Mm -hmm. but you also need to be really clear on how you're going to respond if people say no and if people say yes. Exactly. And they're two quite different responses. So it's how do you be gracious when people say, no, I don't want to help you or I can't help you or I won't help you versus, oh, yes, I can help you or I can't help you this way, but I could help you this way. So she gives you so many great strategies on how to resolve some of those challenges that I think people have and on how to prepare for every scenario of response once you've made your ask. You know, so again, through CEO, there's a whole ask, give network and making it safe. I literally just sent an email today. It says, I need help in the subject line. And I'm not afraid. I will look out for that. <laughs> so can you explain a little bit about what CEO is? I mentioned um, when I introduced you that that's how we met and that you're the country lead in Australia. But can you maybe talk a little bit more about what it is and why it's such an important network? It's how we met and how we're and why we're connected. So I just want to throw in that connected word as well, because I do feel because of CEO, we're a little bit more connected. So CEO is a fund for female entrepreneurs. It was started by Vicki Saunders in Canada. And I was just so inspired by what she was doing. I wanted to help be this first follower and be a pioneer in changing the way money flows to, by, for, with females and female entrepreneurs. So the goal is to get 500 women across Australia to contribute $1,100 each. So that's a half a million dollar fund that gets loaned out to female entrepreneurs that are creating businesses that are have some sort of social impact. But they're selected by the women who have contributed. So the women who have contributed are called activators because they're activating their buying power, their capital, and their network. So talking about connections. And what's interesting is these are women that have applied for this funding and only it would only be five of them. They have to figure out how to divide the half a million dollars that are contributed. They all are addressing one or more of the sustainable development goals. And they're typically not companies that are going to be invested in often by your large traditional venture firms. So it's a way to create this network. And so there's a network of, we have 500 women there's a space where Vicky has created this ask and give. So people are more likely or more generally going to give if somebody asks you for help. Typically, if you're a human, it's easier to give something in response to the help than ask for help. But she's created such a safe space to really act, to be comfortable saying, I need help with X. I need help with Y. And people will show up because people do love to give. And if nobody's asking, for help, you're depriving the people who like to give the help. So think of it that way. Yeah, I completely agree. I've always had the philosophy of people inherently want to help you and people inherently want to be helpful, but people usually don't know how. Exactly. It comes back down to the more specific you can be with 
what you need or when you're asking for help. It's one thing when I went out to, when I started my business and I went out to people and I didn't say, Hey, I need clients. I said, these are the areas I work in. This is the kind of work I do. If you hear people saying these things, then maybe put them in touch as opposed to, I just need some work. (laughs) I felt like because you have showed up, you have showed up and raised your hand to help with getting this network in Brisbane when someone is in that space that you're the first person or one of the first people I think about who need this kind of help. Oh, thanks. And that's how I got to space as well, because you said to me, I think this would be great for you. And it really was. It was an amazing few days. Yeah, space was a great place where everyone shed who their work, their titles, mm-hmm. and they just showed up as humans and there was true connection there as well. I was Googling a few people after space and just went, oh my God, if I'd known you were you, <laughs> I'm kind of glad I didn't because it meant that I had a different relationship with them without being intimidated by whatever aspect of them I found intimidating, either their general amazingness or what an incredible organization they led or had created or how much money they'd raised through venture capitalism or whatever we put on our underwear the same way exactly we all bleed red as one of my friends said. <laughs> why do you think it's so important that women support women it's the only way we're going to move the dials yeah. you know if we're fighting against one another and we created this world we can recreate a new model where the old traditional model of winner takes all we need to all work together to create winners and support one another and what I love also about this model is an activator can also be a venture. So you can contribute your own money as well as apply and get some of this capital. What I love about SHEO is that the investment that you make is $1,100. And while that's an enormous amount of money to a lot of people, to a lot of people it's not. So to be able to be a part of that as an activator and to speak to the women who it's benefiting and to have this sense of pride that I've actually made a small contribution to somebody else's well-being is just such a buzz for me to know that that's something that I've contributed to and that this woman has now got an opportunity to see her dreams realized, maybe provide for her family, maybe to provide for a lot of other families by creating jobs and creating other networks. And it's just such an incredible easy way for women to support women. And the other thing I love about it is that you can also provide some extra money to help an activator who wants to support but doesn't necessarily have the $1,100. So you can co-partner with other people to help them invest as well. And I just, I love that. The other contribution you get is you get a network of 4,000 women around the globe. So it's a big building opportunity as well. I also want to go back to our abundance conversation. When I helped launch this in the US, I was consulting and I did not have $1,100 was a lot for me. But if I was going to be spruiking and talking about this, I had to pony up my $1,100, which I did. And then all of a sudden, this abundance started showing up. I kept saying that, but I'm like, wait a second. The abundance was always there. Yeah, I love that. It was a new lens that I got to work with. And we talk about, you see, you know, the whole Forbes, the latest 100 Forbes, most innovative people, let's just say 99 men and one woman. You know, we want to change the way we have 500 women, a thousand women making this small investment, this small contribution. That's how things change. Yeah, I'll definitely pop some information in the show notes for anybody who wants more information, but it's 
just you can Google it as well. It's spelled S-H-E-E-O. And there's heaps of information online if you want to find out more. Or you can reach out to Julie or to me, and we're definitely happy to talk about our experiences with SheEO. Just to move on slightly, on your website and LinkedIn profile, you say that you're an avid technology junkie. What's your favorite piece of tech? You know what? I think I need to update my profile there. I I was thinking about this question. Um, I mean, I love my phone. I love anything that can connect people. The texting is simple. Is that simple, simple? But what I like to call the AI and the other AI, applied improv. So while it's not something you plug in or charge, it's using this kind of techniques and principles to connect with others. I've sidetracked your question. Go on. I want to know more about that. And um, while I do, I was a, I got really involved with all things Apple and the technology, and I knew how to break them and fix them. But this new, I've been really diving into the principles of improv, applied improv, and using them as theories, as games, as practice to help myself, as well as the founders and any other people that I'm working with. So when I do any kind of talks, I do an improv game to raise the energy in the room so people can laugh, getting comfortable with failure accepting the gifts. So an offering, when you do improv, someone offers a sentence or a question and you add on to it, you say, yes, As an introvert, I'm feeling quite scared by that. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that might look like? Oh, this is therapy. It's really therapy. And yeah, it sounds very scary as an introvert, but when you take any kind of improv workshops, everyone in there is just like you and they just have those introverted feelings and everyone wants to make everyone look good. So that is one of the other principles is make your partner or make someone else look good. And by you making them look good, they're going to make you look good. So I contribute this to play, like it's a big play and curiosity are big buzzwords, which I should, I'll update my LinkedIn to say a play junkie versus a technology junkie. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So we've only got a couple of minutes left. Just to wrap up, what is a book or a podcast that's really resonated with you or impacted you in some way? Can I give three? Of course you can. So there's a an improviser that I follow often in San Francisco, and she's got a podcast called Monster Babies, and it's about mindfulness and improv. So I found improv to be very like a moving mindfulness. And so she Lisa Rowland does that with Ted Desmaison. De That's one. A typical one that I really love with Reed Hoffman is Masters of Scale, but I bet you everyone says that one. And the final one is Coffee Pods with Holly Ransom. Oh, that one I love. Yep. Yeah, she has amazing people there. And she does what I love about not only the people that she brings on, but how she interacts with them and how she has these amazing conversations with them. So those are my three. Have you been on her podcast? Have you been a guest? No, I am. Um, I connect. I'm like, I feel like I'm a producer. I connect her to the right guests, oh. like and Vicky Saunders. I have a goal of being on her podcast. I just love her <laughs> and love coffee pods. Yeah. Are you a reader? I am a reader. I get a lot of information like from Twitter and LinkedIn, but I, I did see that question. I do actually literally sleeping in my bed is barefoot investor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that book by my bed for a long time and haven't read it yet. I think I need to. <laughs> and the other one that I'd started, I was given this for my birthday from um, Lane Beachley was Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. So by the same author, Mark Manson, the author, um, what's the other book? That he wrote that everyone knows. I've got a total mental blank, but it's got an orange cover. Exactly. This one's the cover. <laughs> he was in Brisbane recently as part of a book tour for the second book, and apparently he was great. Yeah. yeah. I didn't get there, though. Where can people find you if they'd like to have conversations with you about Miro D or 
Shibio or anything else? I have a very cryptic handle. It's Julie Trail. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. There is actually another Julie Trail, but she's a lawyer down in Southern California. That's not me. I um, have a Google alert set up for my name and one day I got a Google alert on all this stuff about the railway industry and I'm reading it going, I know I've been really busy lately, but I don't remember doing that. <laughs> and then I saw a photo of the, the Mel Kettle that was quoted and it was a man. And so there's a man called Mel Kettle in the UK who does marketing PR comms as well. And there's also a girl called Mel Kettle in the UK who does marketing PR and comms. And it's just bizarre that the three of us with the same name all work in the same industry. <laughs> Are you connected? you reach out and connect on LinkedIn? They have practically no online presence because if you type Mel Kettle into Google, then I own the first five pages. So I've not really been able to find them to do that. Oh, interesting. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to chat with you, get to know you a little bit more. I just want to ask, how can I help you? Oh, I'll have to have a think about that and come back to you. Thank you very much. One okay. thing I will ask, if you know any great guests who um, you think might be interested, then please let me know. Absolutely. That'd be great. Uh, can do. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you really liked what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes or a recommendation on LinkedIn or both. The show notes are all on the website, melkettle.com forward slash podcast. And I'd love you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You'll find me at Mel Kettle. See you next time and stay connected. Bye.